0: Computer, initialize Hollow Suite.
1: Expanse, the Star Trek Enterprise podcast. My name is Perry, and I'm here today with Chris and Jordan. And today we will be discussing all things Enterprise, but in particular the episode, season three, episode one, The Zindi. But before we get into all that, we'll be sending you out our patreon information where you can subscribe follow along with us also all of our various uh, social networking handles so that you can keep up and uh join in join in all the fun
0: If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com nx01podcast. There you can view our subscription tiers. Some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and so much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from the show. To all of our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Again, visit patreon.com slash Annex01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode.
1: So, again, on this episode, we are talking about the um, episode called The Zindi. This is the episode opener for Season 3, in which we find the crew of the Enterprise is uh, heralding through the Expanse, looking for the infamous attackers of Earth. So, Chris, do you want to give us our plot description?
0: Well, yeah, I can say, before we get, uh, get into the episode description, how was your guys this week?
2: I I had a really good week, um, you know. Just just starting to feel better after coming down with the virus, unfortunately. But um, like I said, I'm feeling much better now, so happy about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. You just
2: yeah de- de- definitely definitely good that
0: you kicked it. Yeah. So. You
1: just you just made me realize that you know what for the next several decades there will be a point where. We can all say the virus, and everybody will know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, not a not a not a Star Trek episode. This is real life. Right. (laughs) You know, you'll be like back in Art Six when I caught the virus. Right. You get to say things like that. Well, my week's just been really, really um, busy. I pretty much stay busy doing, uh, you know, my job, and then you know, family stuff. But. um, I'm trying to make it. No, no virus over here. Thankfully, Um, we're holding steady on that. Um, Are keeping an eye out on the whole vaccination situation. Um, uh, I did Mm -hmm. see that they were looking to push through uh, expanding vaccinations for children. So we're pretty excited about that over here, because that's one of the main reasons that I have not yet received any of the vaccine i'm waiting for it to be available for my kid uh, first so that we can do it together um and then of course we're just i was just you know following all that news stuff also with the incredibly shocking rising deaths of all the people in um india all the number of cases that seem to just have mm-hmm. come out of nowhere and it's rapidly spiraled out of control so i mean as much as we're trying to come to the end of it you know there's still a lot of places that are you know really in the thick of this terrible thing so uh hopefully you know everybody can get better soon get get what they need soon medicine and yeah. access to medical equipment most most definitely
0: yeah i got to say for for me i had a pretty good week too uh just kind of busy with work actually one of my coworkers got the virus too so we're 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 down a person it's actually the the first full timer that we've had be out with it cuz we did have two other cases, but they were they were part timers, so that that was a little little easier on the schedule. As we record this, two days ago, I got my my second dose, and I had the unfortunateness of having to work the day after I got my Ooh. second dose. And about a uh, little over halfway in, into my shift yesterday, it just really kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. But I've since I was able to get off an hour early since. That's kind of how our shifts work and then got uh got recouped for, for today and really the only thing I've got left is a little bit of a sore arm, but it's it's going away pretty quick, so
1: that's good. That's good, yeah. Have you known anybody who's gotten the vaccine and had like um like a really bad, like really severe reaction to it or anything, or or has it just been pretty much the same, like sore arm, a little stiffness?
0: Uh I gotta say, yeah, kind of, kind, kind of, funny you mentioned that. My, uh, my much better half Heather, she, uh, she had the like sort of more of a a sickness reaction than I did, like, but but she she toughed it out even more. But it was a little easier for her to tough it out at work since she works in an office. So they were able to. It was a little bit easier. She didn't have to stand eight hours Very a day. True.
1: Well, that's good. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, they talk about the misinformation out there about the virus uh, and the and the vaccines mm-hmm. and what's keeping people from getting it and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it's good to know that, you know, actual people that I can, you know, in- hear from, hear about, aren't having negative, negative experiences. So, always bodes well.
2: Yeah, definitely. definitely. So, yeah. I can tell you from firsthand experience, I, I probably would – I. I, you know i was really distrustful of the of the vaccine just because it didn't receive fda approval it's just kind of been authorized for emergency use and whatnot not a lot of long term studies but as somebody who actually can got the virus um i'd say that everything that i've read about the side effects of the vaccine um are far outweighed by covid itself so it seems like a better alternative overall
1: cool good good endorsement good endorsement yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. Well, turning our attention now back to, of course, uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, this week, again, we were talking about the episode of the Zindi. And Chris, do you want to provide us with mm-hmm. that um, uh, plot description?
0: Yeah. Um episode kind of starts with them heading off to this uh, mining uh, planet. They uh, kind of talk to the foreman, bribe him a little bit to, to talk to a, a Zindi that he has in as part of his labor force. Um, and sort of in order to to prove that he is is in that it is a Zindi that he has, they have an unfortunate accident in quotation marks to get get rid of his finger so that way they can do the DNA testing. Because um, uh, Archer and Reed were the ones that went down and talked to the foreman, they come back up. Fox analyzes it. He's like, "Well, it is a Zindi, but it's not the same type of Zindi that we we came across." Um, and then Archer kind of makes a comparison between, you know, humans and Neanderthals. as sort of the, the DNA difference on that. Then uh, Archer and Trip head back down to the, the mining facility to talk to the Zindi to try to get the location for the Zindi homeworld. The Zindi says he'll only talk if they help him escape this mining facility. And that's when we kind of realized that this uh, foreman is not really... On the up and up, if, if you know what I mean. But we could kind of tell just by, by his mannerisms going into it. Because usually usually he has to send out ships to kidnap people to, to join the uh, mining labor force there. Next, Archer and Trip are contacted by the Enterprise. They say, hey, you know, we found him. We got to still got to kind of convince him to, to give us a location. And they kind of end the communication. And at that point, that's when they start to lose communication with them because the foreman's going to capture the entire crew of the Enterprise to join the labor force. After that, the, the Zindi, Archer, and Trip try or start, start their escape. They go up a, a plasma relay that hadn't been used in years, but the foreman decides to open it up because he figures that's where they went. Uh, there's a, a harrowing escape of the plasma, but as they roll out of the maintenance tunnel they are encountered by the security forces of the mining colony at that point back on the Enterprise T'Pol knows that there's something up since she can't get a hold of Archer and Trip uh, the Makos come in and and kind of stage a rescue Reed kind of wanted to lead it but he, he finally wiggles it to where he's at least on board the shuttle pauses as they go in they wind up rescuing Trip and Archer and almost rescuing the Zindi, but the Zindi gets sniped by one of the the uh, security forces there on the mining team. Uh, he ultimately dies, but does provide the coordinates for the Zindi homeworld. They follow the coordinates, and it turns out that where the Zindi's original homeworld was, was destroyed. And that sort of ends the episode there. So real quick, down and dirty on that. Yeah. So we get our first
1: look in this episode, also of the um, the Zindi Council. That's kind of the episode opener, mm-hmm. there as we see all the the surviving ruling Zindi, anyway, talking about uh, the fact that they know Enterprise has entered the Expanse. Um, mm-hmm. So just real quick, I would like to talk about that first scene with everybody. What were your first impressions seeing these guys, these new aliens? um right there for the first time what were your thoughts
0: i really enjoyed you know sort of the diversity within that species you know how they had you know the 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 reptilians which we kind of had seen from from the opener we had you know these really like half praying mantis half walking stick type insects that they had for the the insectoids um it was neat kind of seeing the the uh, aquatics there kind of looking looking like like an eel and a, and a whale all, all at the same time. Mm. The primates which I mean they look sort of like us but with ridges and and the ar- arboreals there. That that was that one was sort of interesting cuz that one kind of reminded me a bit of uh, Planet of the Apes.
1: Yeah, yeah, good good reference there. Planet of the Apes vibe for sure.
2: 100% Planet of the Apes vibes. I remember watching it when it first aired and being like, you know, which one are which one are the Zindi and which one are their allies? And you know, are they are they all Zindi? Because at that point in the plot, you know, we weren't we weren't exactly sure what was going on. We just saw a bunch yeah. of people in a room, you know, plotting against finding out that Enterprise was on its way, uh, which I thought was interesting. You know, they kind of decided on a strategy of um, of finding out as much information as they could instead of immediately just dispatching ships uh, to counter this threat. So yeah, they're obviously intelligent. They obviously have a plan, you know, kind of like the Cylons or whatever. Um, (laughs) And so uh, I thought that that was interesting that they were not, you know, this was a race that we had just seen deploy a probe and kill 7 million people, you think that they're automatically just going to be quintessentially aggressive. Um, but they're actually very thoughtful in their actions.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like you yeah. fell into a, a, a Star Trek trope of all the aliens looking the same
2: cuz right. you were looking
1: for the Zindi and which ones were mm-hmm. their allies you were trying to figure out who was who um, you know that aha moment that they were all Zindi. Uh, I'm sure first time watching it was uh would have been pretty intense there.
2: Yeah, came at the end of the episode which I thought was I thought was really well done when they when they get to, you know, that planet um mm-hmm. And, and they, they kind of discover the truth about, you know, it's, it, it's, it isn't just one, um, uh, one particular, I don't know how to, one particular type of Zindi there, there are several, they learn that through the tissue sample, obviously, or through the finger. <laughs> um, but when you, when you, yeah. when you get to their he talks about their home planet and he gives them the coordinates. And, um, that's kind of when that revelation hit for me that they were all Zindi. Yeah, Um, and I
1: think that's just, it was a really cool thing that Star Trek did there with creating this race, the Zindi, and having them all look so uh, different. I mean, because all we ever saw in all the other aliens before, everybody was exactly the same, you know, slight deviations here and there, especially for male and female. But for the most part, they all look the same. And, you know, to find a species that, you know, if you want to do a deeper dive on it, it's basically meaning that, you know, they had several different evolutionary groups that must have coexisted on this planet at the same time. You know, I think that's just pretty cool. I mean, because we're always dealing with there seem to be one dominant trait that evolves over time. So to see, you know, what I guess it's six, right? Because the no, is it five or six? Because this, I think the sixth race yeah. is missing. That's They're, right. they five living. They went yeah. extinct. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that's just a really cool thing that I know that it just. I guess it didn't really seem to do much at first, but um again it's something that we never see again. Like you don't see them do that in any of the other treks and even with the new stuff like Discovery and Picard, you don't they have gone back to the original format of one type, one track uh aliens, you know. So
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Um then of course we're back on Enterprise we're seeing the crew and they're you know adapting to their new um mission and i feel like we came across one of the coolest effects ever in star trek and that's where they go into the cargo bay and all the cargo (laughs) equipment is flying from one side to the other in there (laughs) um just a quick little thing that i that i just love like It highlights, once again, something that I think that Enterprise did better than a lot of the other shows. And it was in giving us um, a lot of immersive world building, right? And so, what starts off as a little quirk of a room, we obviously, you know, spoilers, uh, realize is something that ties into the greater plot of, well, really the rest of the show. Like, especially the whole part of of them being in the Expanse and the Zindi storyline, you know? So, I really like that. They kind of dropped these breadcrumbs. There was something else going on here, and we're seeing that effect. Um, did you guys see anything else along this episode that kind of was along the same lines?
2: It was our first look at the anomaly uh or at the anomalies that are present in the expanse. I thought that scene was really well done. um mm-hmm. I thought that I thought it was humorous it it actually stuck with me um as as a memorable scene because trip you know he's like, just wait for it." Um, it's definitely not the graph play, like whatever and then the camera shows yeah. <laughs> all the cargo just shifting from one room to the other and they they kind of don't know what to make of it um and then you learn that the planet they're going to um eventually at some point in the episode they're they make trellium d which is the insulation that a lot of ships need to be able to survive in this place so i thought it, i thought it was really well done in terms of um how, how they let that plot point unfold mm-hmm. um made it very interesting and, and connected yeah. the dots real easy for us
1: yeah you're absolutely right i totally just skipped over that part i mean that's the whole driving point of of the episode we're talking <laughs> about and i'm already talking about spoilers yeah but yeah i mean it was right there plain as day um and talk about that mining facility do we ever find out what kind of aliens those guys are that are in charge of the mining facility
0: I don't think
1: so. Dangerous ones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've just got to be the worst looking. I mean, I was like, are they Orions? Like, they're just they're just awful. And they're like slimy and they're sickly. And that coughing apparatus thing that that guy had on his face, like, it was a great piece, but it was totally distracting to me. Like, I just, yeah. I was locked in on it. I was like, what? is that yeah you know i just i wanted to know so bad is that his medicine is it drugs is this an addiction thing what is it you know um but yeah they just they're just gross like mm. that whole that whole set was gross they got to crawl through the the <laughs> muck oh yeah. an escape and it's like the <laughs> the sewage waste and everything i mean I, i'm sure we've all at some point envisioned ourselves as being you know starfleet officers are in starfleet mm-hmm. or whatever uh i i know that in that instance in watching that scene i was like nope that's probably where we're drawing the line <laughs> right there I'm, I'm not getting in alien sewage man just not doing it i'm sorry and it was glowing and i was like is it glowing because there's lights under there or is it glowing because like all the alien stuff mixed together has created this toxic stuff you know <laughs> like nope yeah, that's where I draw the line, man. Not crawling through alien sewage. Just can't do it.
2: Nope. Yeah, I think at that point you're like waiting for them to get back to the decon chamber, and you want to actually see oh, them right. get clean. You're like, yes, exactly. Yeah. You guys are not okay right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't don't you just
2: take
0: a but, shower?
1: You better get in there and sit down. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I think this was a Berman decision because neither uh, Hoshi nor topol went down with them, so it hey, would have just yeah. been just been tripping Archer. <laughs>
1: In the yeah. oh, just tripping Archer in the decon chamber, so uh, we're not going to see it. We're not. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Gratuitous Berman. There was no gratuitous <laughs> Berman here. Interesting.
0: But yeah, um, kind of going back to the to the foreman though. He the the actor that played him, Senator Vrenak <laughs> from In the Pale Moonlight.
2: Really? Yes. Nice tie-in wow you just blew my mind just now <laughs> yeah
1: mine too like i did not know that all these years watching it and you right. know what now that i think about it the voice totally matches
2: yeah I- it see that's that's what i'm i'm thinking about right now and for me like it doesn't that's why i've never made that connection because it's not only that their characters are so different but that breathing mm-hmm. apparatus that he had and how and how he was so good at like he, he would take it off to talk and then he would put it back you know to get some air mm-hmm. um i never made that connection because the voices just didn't line up for me yeah He's i mean a completely I, different voice
1: to me I, I never made the connection but i'm just in my head right now hearing him'm like no that totally fits like mm-hmm. I, i'm not trying to say that i my you know my you know brain is better or anything like that i'm just like i can hear it and it's like it matches it fits it's i'm now <laughs> i'm gonna have to go and watch an episode yeah, <laughs> Deep Space Nine, you know, just to be like, that's him, that's the guy, you know. But yeah,
2: man, thanks for that fun fact because yeah, that was something nice. I did not know. So, wow, well, um, I mean, props to that actor. Like mm-hmm. Vreenak is such a refined, like, I mean, the way he dresses down Cisco. It- it was it was so perfect in that episode, and then he the way he sips his Romulan ale and criti- you know criticizes it because it's um, made by the replicator, and then mm-hmm. this guy he's like scum of the earth, like um, <laughs> you know slave master. Yeah. The, the term yeah. that comes to mind is a slave slave driver, slave master. And his like I said that that breathing opera- apparatus was just such a nice touch. I think it masked. I'm usually good at spotting you know characters from for from different series. Um Jeffrey Combs is, is the only other one I can say who has that level of diversity um, in his ability to portray different characters. But this guy, uh, he just jumped to the top of my list.
1: <laughs> well, I'd also give credit, too, to the fact that, you know, as the shows have progressed, their makeup and stuff has gotten better. And yeah. you know, he, he wasn't mm-hmm. he he was not a recurring character the way that. Jeffrey Combs has kind of become like a fixture in Star Trek, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's to the point where it's like, is it even Trek if Jeffrey Combs doesn't show up? Like that <laughs> that's, that's how, you know, synonymous he's become with it. But uh, yeah, no, I'm going to definitely go back and watch that. And um, there's some other interesting points about that episode that, I mean, obviously it's a great one in the pale moonlight, you know? So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Um, also uh, back to enterprise though, in this episode in particular, we're introduced to a new element uh of Starfleet, and that's the Makos. Mm-hmm. We see them for the first time. We'd heard them, you know, mentioned before Admiral Hayes talking about, you know, are you sure you asked an Archer if he was sure he wanted to bring them on board? you know, and now here we get to see a full-on, what do we want to call them a squad battalion platoon like what do you i don't even remember if there was ever a name for what they were yeah you know what their group was but yeah we see them for the first time what do you guys think of the makos in starfleet i
0: i really enjoyed seeing it just you know being being the marine in me because these are space marines since you know yeah and and you know we're, we're not talking you know warhammer 40k space marines we're talking about you know upgrade from from our current definition of a, of a marine so
1: oh you mean so this is the so the Makos are the uh, next generation of our space yes. force <laughs> our, our inaugural space force okay
2: maybe it's, essentially <laughs> essentially yeah I thought it was cool because you in in other variations of Trek we all see the security division and they obviously have extensive you know security training but they're still Starfleet mm-hmm. So this was the first time where you see, an actual division between um, Starfleet and the other, the other military groups that still exist on Earth. Um, you know, yeah. Malcolm talks about his his father serving in the Royal Navy. So, so that's an interesting point that I'd never considered before. Is this is not the first time that we learn that there is actually still remnants of of traditional military mm-hmm. um, organizations still on Earth. We know that the Royal Navy still exists from Malcolm. Um, but now we're seeing an actual, like you say, space Marines and Marines nope. are not like other people <laughs> is, is what I've heard, at least what I've observed um, my personal experience. So it, it was interesting to see um, just how much of the modern world they injected into that. Um, you can definitely see how, how it's, it's derived from the world that we live in today um, and, and an extrapolation or an evolution of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you make a great point. Like, um, yeah, in all the other treks, I mean, Starfleet, Mm -hmm. the security force is it, you know, Mm -hmm. and to yeah, definitely touch on the fact that all these other um, military operations still exist. I thought was really cool. And it, uh, you know, it opens up an avenue of, you know, how do we eventually go from having all of these individual military groups to just Starfleet, you know, like everybody's absorbed into Starfleet. Like at some point, clearly yeah. there's a changeover, right? right? You know, those things don't exist um, beyond, like, I guess, ceremonial purposes. But yeah, I mean, like, when does that occur? Because, I mean, we know the timeline of Enterprise and we know, you know, that this should, all these things should be absorbed relatively quickly. So yeah, to see them not only still portrayed and also to be so organized and vibrant, I mean, I'm really interested in, that backstory. What suddenly is the switch over and makes everybody just um, Starfleet? Um, so they touch
2: on that in Star Trek Beyond, which which was part of the you know I don't not a necessarily an issue, but an interesting plot point for me because that that ship, uh, the Franklin, was technically a, a predecessor of the nx one, is my understanding. Yeah, it was not a warp five vessel. Um, it was smaller, but you hear this. You hear. What's his name? Um, the ca- the captain played by Idris Elba. You hear him talk about actually, you know, the changeover. You hear him talk about that changeover from okay. Starfleet or from Mako to Starfleet, and how they gave him, you know, a ship. Um, they, they turned this soldier with PTSD into you know a starship captain and expected him to go explore a strange new worlds, and that's that's not exactly what happened for him. So I don't know if that's just a a Kelvin timeline deviation or if that actually took place in the Prime Universe. I don't think we have enough information to draw that conclusion, but um, it is interesting how they touched on that later.
1: Yeah. And that could also, you know, like you said, Idris Elba's character is playing somebody who had PTSD, you know. Um, So that goes back a little bit more into Trek history. And, I mean, the only thing that I could think of that – you know, would have him suffering in such a manner, would be the infamous uh, Federation Romulan War, yeah, you know, which is something that we we have never seen in any show, right? You know, um, so it would be really cool to um, maybe see a movie that's all about that, something that bridges that gap, and it's all just about the war. I agree, I yeah. agree. It's I would it... I would really love to see that as a movie, just the whole the war, right? Like maybe do a. a you know, episode one, episode two, um, mm-hmm. the Starfleet wars, you know, that would be a cool project.
2: And Idris Elba's character in Star Trek Beyond, he mentions not, he mentions the Romulans, um, and he mentions the Zindi. So, you know, that he saw both conflicts. Yeah. I think that's where that PTSD is derived from. Um, you know, they, they're telling you to go fight species that you've never even, you know, sub- at the Romulan war, they'd never seen what they look like. Um, the Zindi were obviously a fierce species, and and actually one thing that I read was that um, it's possible that his character served as a Mako on Enterprise during its time in the Expanse, because how else would he have known eh, who else fought the Zindi? No one else fought the Zindi. It was literally just Enterprise out there.
1: Um, you're right, and also um, that also sets up some issues with you know some continuity, some timeline issues because I agree. You know, if he fought against the Zindi and was on Enterprise and was in the Romulan War, which we know the Romulan Wars lasted a hundred years, right, you know, there's gotta be some kind of disconnect here. Or, you know, as we also saw, that character was heavily mutated. So who knows, you know, what that mutation did to his longevity, you know, and to the crew the crew's longevity as well. And I think that was also kind of an overreaching point of of beyond. But that too. these guys had been through a lot and they were have been severely displaced from the Federation, yeah, um, you know. So that's yeah, a, a lot of great tie-ins. Like once you look back, you know, see the forest for the trees, as it were, you know, with all of it. But um, yeah, that's that's cool. Um, I'll have to go back and watch Beyond too. I'm not. Um, it's not that I haven't seen them. I'm just I don't cover them as much because I just have certain issues with um JJ Abrams yeah. I will I will forgive I will overlook it when it comes to Star Trek because it's Star Trek and I love it so much but yeah.
2: exactly if it made it on screen I'm I'm looking for the connection somehow yeah and, and and like to your point you know I'm making those those continuity those continuity errors are more visible to me and to probably anybody watching this show you know um they they know. about the Romulan war and and some of the things that we've been taught about it they know you know season three of enterprise and so they're asking themselves that same question so to kind of try to work that out a little bit um is something that I have an interest in you know
1: yeah absolutely I mean I know that we as fans we talk a lot about continuity errors and things like that but um uh I think that's stuff that adds kind of the spice to the conversation, the greater conversation that we get to have with Trek, you know. And then, of course, when eventually the time comes around when people do go back and address certain things. Like, as much as I don't like prequels, they do provide a lot of um, great fill-ins for stuff that we otherwise were just always left as you know, basically off-camera references, you know? Exactly. And, I mean, of course there's the never-ending stream of books that just seems to, you know, follow forever. But, I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean, but you can't read them all. And so it's great to see some things that kind of come back in and and fill those gaps um, as well.
2: Definitely. You know, uh, real quick on the Makos there, uh, their gear, their gear is not Starfleet issue. Uh, that was the first thing that you noticed in, in, in that combat scene. Yeah. Um, somebody pulse had like rifles. a pulse rifles, stun sticks, um, all sorts of cool things that you just go, where, where was that? If, you know, things that are, uh, that seem superior to a phaser. Absolutely. Uh, right.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So I thought that was cool.
1: Yeah, I was, you know, as soon as they whipped those out, I was like, "Wait a minute, Enterprise launched from space dock, and y'all didn't have some of those in a locker somewhere? Like, how did, how did that happen? Yeah, you know, y'all had to go all the way back home to get this. Like, you should have had those already.
2: Hundred percent, absolutely.
1: Yeah, you know." um that also kind of ties into another theory that I'd heard about Enterprise too, and that even though we do see mention and we hear a lot about Starfleet, that there's a theory running out there that the Enterprise is not actually a part of Starfleet and that it's the next iteration that is actually the full um, formation of Starfleet and the Enterprise and so forth. So it explains why certain things weren't on the ship and why they had so many difficulties starting out. But, I mean, I don't really... I don't really care. It's just something that I I had read about once or twice before.
2: Um, but yeah,
1: I still like seeing it. They definitely use the same yeah. term. You
2: know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a Starfleet Academy that Archer went through, but I believe he was one of the first. Like people to go through the Academy. Um, yeah. Like, and, and yeah, he's, yeah, he's the generation
1: that started it.
2: Right. Yeah. And it's clearly not the same organization from Archer to Kirk, you know, it, mm. it's, it's an organization that's evolved. So,
1: yeah, real quick before we, because uh, we can go on the Makos for a while. There was another another Mako scene that I wanted to bring up, and that's with Hoshi yep. in the mess hall, and she comes up to all the Makos sitting there, and uh, she's able to pick out that one of them is from uh, Duluth, Georgia. Minnesota. <laughs> that's right. I'm I'm sorry, what Duluth, Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay. Maybe that's my disconnect, because when (laughs) I hear Duluth, I immediately think Georgia. And I listen to this guy talk, and I was like, listen, I'm from that area. I know (laughs) so many people from that area. He does not sound like he's from Duluth. I don't care what she says. And um, it's just like, I know they were trying to play up her extreme skill and talent as a a linguist. But man, that one was a leap in disbelief that I just couldn't make. I, I wanted to, I really did, but I was like, I'm sorry, Hoshi, I'm not giving you this one. I'm not gonna <laughs> give you credit for this one. No. So But what did y'all yeah. think of that introductory scene of the everybody sitting around in the in the mess hall and, you know, sharing their before battle meal as it were.
0: I I really did enjoy it. Um but I li- I liked how how he, you know, he corrected her and said he was from Atlanta, so that's probably where you got your Georgia connect your your Georgia disconnect as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she's like, you know, well, you, you may be, may have left Duluth, but Duluth didn't leave you. <laughs> exactly. Is it just
1: me? I feel like, I don't know. I feel like when they try to write sass on, for certain characters, it just falls way flat. Like it's so <laughs> disingenuous. I'm just like, that doesn't sound like anything that person would say. Can you not, can you, can you do something else with them, please?
2: Maybe it was just me and the age that I was. I was I was a, a teenager, like preteen, 13, 14, mm-hmm. when that episode probably came out. But I thought it was well done. I, you know, it was the first time we're seeing Hoshi without her, you know, traditional braids or in or whatever, um, you know, different hairstyle or whatnot. I felt like she was. I felt like they were trying to free up her character a little bit and <clears throat> make it known that she's uh, she's smart, she's attractive, she's um, she's good at, at at mingling with people. And it doesn't matter what people they are. That's what makes her special about it as a linguist is she can just go into any group and immediately start relating to them immediately start learning their language. So I thought, I thought personally that it was a good character development for her, but I could see how I could see how other, other times it has fallen flat. Definitely. I can agree.
1: Well, I mean, I don't think that they were hurting for attractive characters, to, <laughs> right. to focus no. on you know and um yeah i think that they definitely were, were trying to do something here with hoshi you know but uh i don't know i just I always felt like that was just an odd scene for her i i point out scenes like this because like i i like seeing when they take the characters and allow for a bit of personal development outside of, you know, sitting at a console on the bridge and that's all we ever see him doing, you know. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy those other scenes like this one. But um yeah, I just was like, I don't I don't like this one with Hoshi. I just I don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess yeah, for me I I I still kind of enjoy it, so
1: So then the next of course part that I want to talk about is the Back to Our Slave Driver and his <laughs> attempted takeover of enterprise and crew and um yeah we get to see you know archer kind of be a little bit of a bit of of a badass for the first time in the season you know like we just come out of season two with uh you know the zindi attack and all that kind of stuff and um him being the brooding the brooding captain Mm -hmm. now he gets to kind of move from brooding into action um so, what did you think of his debut fighting with the with the Makos when they were trying their escape?
2: You know, it reminded me of Archer, except he, or reminded me of a Kirk, except he managed to keep his shirt on, <laughs> um, which I thought was cool. Um, but he, he he immediately springs into action um, as when the Makos do their surprise ambush, and um, he and and Trip, you know, get get weapons. They take cover. Um, very very conventional military engagement. Um, you can see that they have they're they're falling back on their own training. Um, and I thought that I thought it, I thought it was good. I, I, you could tell he was, he was happy to see them show up. He was obviously concerned when he lost, um, communication with the ship and that foreman, I mean, he came close to making them all, um, you know, work on that planet Mm -hmm. in that, in that mine. So capturing enterprise would have been a huge reward. Um, you know, any ship that is that has uh, relays laced with platinum is probably worth a lot on the on the space market there. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess say I, I I really did enjoy seeing Archer
0: getting into it with 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 the Mako's because it kind of showed that hey, you know, he he is he like like he said you know previously you know he didn't have any issue with non Starfleet being on the on the ship, and he was you know willing to work with, with anybody that was going to help him, you know, achieve that end goal of, you know, really finding out what why it is that, that Earth was attacked and, you know, try to correct it anywhere mm-hmm. possible up to it, including annihilating the those who attacked.
1: Yeah. Um, once again, we see it, it would, not once again, but this is the beginning, I guess, of really seeing action Archer basically, you know, Archer is once again demonstrating his very mm-hmm. hands-on approach, you know. Um he's, he's similar to Kirk, of course, he's leading the away missions, he's going on every everything, but then he's also in the thick of the fights and and leading that charge as well. And if you think about it, that is something that pretty much every captain does except for Picard. Yeah. You know, it almost makes Picard stand out even more for the fact that he didn't really engage like that, but all the other captains did. I mean, c- clearly Kirk was our is our pinnacle example. He was on every mission, he was in every fight. As you said, his uniform got ripped so many times. I mean, I mean he was keeping seams to uh, seams People, you know, costume designers in business <clears> for forever, you know. But um, yeah, I mean to see that in Archer as well, and then of course we, with we get it with Cisco in the War and Janeway. Uh, several different times so it just once again highlights how similar to the other captains archer is and so it's i like it because it's one of those situations where people are always talking about when we compare the captains and everything else and they kind of leave archer off but i'm like he has so many of the same characteristics Mm -hmm. as the other captains like i don't see how you can't see similarities you know um and I definitely like it because it highlights a key fact of of Archer and Cisco that I like and that's how protective they are of the people that they serve with. You know, he's not afraid to put himself out there and um you know, get dirty and to fight for them and even to the point where he's risking himself for that Zindi that they had um liberated basically, you know. So, I just appreciate stuff like that a lot and I really enjoyed the, I guess, physicalness of that scene. Some of the other scenes filmed in Star Trek with fighting can seem very, very, you know, well, choreographed, you know? Yeah. And this was not that, not that I feel like it was well done.
2: I agree. It was, it reminded me of like a, you know, a conventional military engagement that we see Mm -hmm. on, on different shows. Um, you know, be, between actual Marines and actual shoulder soldiers in today's world, there was a scene that stuck out to me upon rewatching that episode um, that I think distinguishes Archer among the other captains. And that's when, um, that's when they're trying to leave, and the Makos have rescued him, and he and he he looks at the Zindi and says, "Where the hell do you <laughs> think you're going?" And then, you know. And then tries to get his men up the stairs and whatnot. And he's the Zindi has to beg him to take him with him and convince him that he knows something, some intelligence that's actually valuable. And Archer takes that leap of faith. And he, you know, it wasn't because he had his best interest at heart. But then again, when you just said, you know, when they're, when he risks himself for that Zindi, they're taking fire after that Zindi gets hit and he picks him up with Trip and loads him into the shuttle. So the. The fluctuation between, you know, hey, I'm about to leave you here, um, versus, you know, hey, let's get him into the pod, and he's got he's got intel. I don't think it was just the intel. I think it was his his instinct, his reaction, his um, instinct as a Starfleet officer taking over and saying, "I got to get this person out of here," <clears throat> you know. Um, obviously he did have intel. And the payoff to that was obviously, you know, the, the Zindi used his dying breasts to, to give him the coordinates to their homeworld. And, you know, it, it, I think when he showed up on the bridge, he was ready to do battle with whoever attacked earth. And then he, he learns, he starts to learn a little bit more about, you know, this puzzle um, and, and that this is not what yeah. he was expecting. So it, it's definitely plays into how the rest of the season unfolds. Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to get that one piece of information from him. And it was because he made a choice not to leave him there. He made a choice to take him with him. Yeah.
1: And also plays into the character development of Archer. You know, like again, we, we do see a change in his character. And as you just highlighted, like you are seeing a uh, the, the kind of the split of how he's thinking, like he's, yes, he's got to preserve this, get this information, that could potentially lead them to, you know, that next key piece with uh, finding out this indie, but also in saving this man's life, you know. Um,.
2: And what I like about it is is it's not a bipolar reaction. You actually see yeah. him struggle with the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Janeway has a lot of inconsistencies as a <laughs> as a character. You know what I mean? There, there's times she's like, "Hey, prime directive." There's tri- times where she's like, "To hell with the prime directive. I literally don't care." Um, but but Archer, you actually see the struggle. You see the logic between uh, one side or the other, and you see which one plays out in the end, which I think is really cool. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with
0: that, with Archer, you know, it just kind of, like, you know, you were saying, Perry, it just goes to, to show that he's really a, a, a great, a good combination of all the other previous captains put into one, which, you know, kind of leads to him being the quote unquote model captain that everybody beyond, mm. you know, beyond him wanted to be. Yeah. And I think
1: it also highlights um, another thing about enterprise, which I think, feel is a thing that makes it superior to the other shows and this could just be a credit to either you know the writing or the acting of uh, scott Bakula or both or whatever but it's the fact that they make such a relatable character like i'm sure we could all uh we easily sympathize with somebody who is struggling to figure out a path through something that is so traumatic as you know all these people on your your planet you know have been attacked or have been killed uh and then you suddenly have to turn around and rescue one of the enemy you know and what kind of uh what kind of intense psychological you know situation that might put you in especially when when you're trying to make the decision you're also trying to save all of your other crew members who are right beside you and you're trying to also save your own life and leave so he was dealing with a lot and again he isn't coming from a place of having A lot of experience or a lot of rules and protocols that he can rely on a lot of this he's doing and it's the first time it's the first go so he's got to make those decisions whereas again with every other captain afterwards there's there's a rule there's a protocol there's something and whether or not they decide to you know go rogue and deviate from that is is totally different because they at least have a foundation to move from or move with you know, Archer doesn't have any of that. And I like seeing that struggle. And again, it makes it makes Enterprise to me more relatable to us because um, we're, mm-hmm. I guess we're almost there. Like Picard, TNG, as I've always said, it's the one that it's kind of like, they represent the best of us, the height of what we could absolutely be when we are at 100% top of our game, right? We aspire to be at that level. And uh, Enterprise, on the other hand, is more like, we can get there like they're still better than us but we can get there it will take a lot of work but we can get there they're more achievable and I like that I like that relatable achievable aspect of them and seeing that even in the captain and how it filters all the way down with all of them uh, from again from Archer uh, Hoshi Travis Malcolm all of them it just makes the show to me uh, it heightens that realistic level you know and I really enjoy that and I think that's why this is a show that over time Will get more respect, you know.
2: Tremendously,
0: yeah, I agree. Yeah, I do want to want to interject one thing here. You know, I I really do wish Travis had a little bit more to do in this one.
2: Yeah, I don't remember him doing anything. Let me see. Except he he did he did fly the the shuttle down.
0: Okay. But that was really about it. I don't really recall him having any lines or many, if any.
2: Yeah. In fact, and, and then of course, I think when stuff like that happens, it's probably because the actor, you know, either wanted to reduce schedule that week or you know had something going on. I, I always go back to that, but maybe maybe it was just a writing decision. Who knows? Um, but I, I I don't mind when they don't show certain characters in certain episodes it makes me think that like i said the actor had something going on and allows them to kind of focus they don't have to get everyone involved in it and and that's actually i mean different than they tried to play it in some of the previous series you know you would have your bridge shot and you would have everybody at their stations and you have a bridge shot in this one where they where they find the planet and everybody is at their stations um but trying to trying to include everyone for the for the sake of the story when it doesn't necessarily apply to the story um you know i i think it was not not this episode in particular with travis but i don't mind when they when they leave certain characters out because they're just not as relevant to the plot of that particular episode um but i but you're right though like i mean He's he's yeah. kind of a background character in this one, like yeah. um, for this particular episode. It, it felt like he was a Mako or something like that. So it would have been nice to see him included a little bit more, especially. In say, the Perry, I saw opener. you
0: shaking your head earlier. So let's, let's go I'm go sure ahead and drop know. some knowledge yeah. on us.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, that's <laughs> yeah, well, because uh, you know we talked before about the the Star Trek Day when they were doing all those mm-hmm. um, virtual. Uh, cons right and i watched the one with the enterprise crew and i've also followed up with anthony montgomery you know and um he's talked a lot about his time on enterprise and you know the things he's enjoyed and everything else and that's one thing he talks about a lot too is the fact that he does feel he was criminally underutilized and it wasn't that he was you know doing other projects or was trying to take a step back or anything like that they just didn't know what to do with him and, you know, they had certain aspects of a story. And maybe if the show had ran for a bit longer, we might have seen them circle back to him. But um, I just feel like they just really didn't know what else they wanted to do. And that um, then there was a supreme lack of effort in trying. Like, there is such a huge shift in the show after nine eleven, you know? And then there was this... Uh, this need for a ratings grab, too, you know, and so there it became a let's change the focus and then let's also do a lot of fan service. And so the character development for a lot of the characters took a back seat. And so you're you're they started competing with fan service and sex appeal. And when these two things clash, as we've seen in Star Trek multiple times, when these two things clash, there's a huge dropout. You know, and and something has to give, and it's typically the character development, and all of a sudden, great characters who have a lot of potential are suddenly thrust into the background. And, you know, whereas like on Voyager, for example, when this happens, that show at least had the benefit of running for seven seasons, so they were able to come back to certain things and eventually give us the development that some of the characters deserved. Enterprise didn't get that. We see a drop-off spectacularly with Travis, with Hoshi read even um even with malcolm to a certain extent yeah, yeah you know and it's criminal because like they they give us so much initially and <laughs> then it just goes nowhere it does nothing and and then it's like towards the end they're like oh crap <laughs> hey we're in the final season we're going to cancel it let's try to throw something at all these characters to make them suddenly relevant interesting again and it's it's way too little too late and it's like I I hate that. And so, yeah, the fact that all we see him do in the season three episode opener is pilot a shuttle. And I don't even think he speaks in that. He's just there. You know, it's kind of sad. And um, it does lead people to the impression that the actor was either doing something or maybe he was having some kind of contract negotiation or whatever. No, none of that is the case. They just didn't know how to use him. And they certainly didn't ask for any input. And he was just kind of, left out there you know they
2: they focused on trip trips dealing with the not just the impact of the death of his sister but he he was their vehicle to show how everybody was dealing with the trauma of of the attack on earth they could have spread that out amongst the characters and let us see how all of them were doing not all of them had to suffer a personal loss you know i would have Mm. liked to have seen how what what travis thought about it I would have liked to see, you know, what Hoshi thought about it, but I think that they did pull back on that particular aspect of character development for for everyone mm-hmm. except for Archer and except for Trip, and they focused on those two and how they dealt with it. Um, when I when I would have liked to see how everyone had dealt with it. Yeah, and I
0: think really, and that w-
1: might be a little bit of Berman. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah,
0: I was saying, I think, I, really, I think it would. They had a great opportunity there with travis because you know he wasn't raised on earth he wasn't born even born on earth he was born out in space but he was still he you know sort of a conflict of you know how to process this that yeah, you know his home point. planet that you know even though he was born on a shuttle that's where he's from it's just you know how how does he deal with that and there, there was a whole lot that, that they could have done yeah. and if the writers had just walked up to anthony i'm sure he would have mentioned that yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good point. They could have highlighted, you know, maybe that that sense of disconnect for him. I mean, obviously it's significant, it's important, but he he's rarely been on earth. He probably doesn't have the same connection to the planet that everybody else does.
2: And know? okay, so one way they could have explored that is by going yeah. back to his brother. You know, the last time we saw any any serious development between for this character was when he was on the horizon again visiting his family. Um, and then again, they tried to throw us some bones in season four. I know exactly what you're talking about, Perry. Um, but the last time we really saw significant development at this timeline in Enterprise was when he was on the Horizon, and him and his brother they made they made a vow to keep in contact. Why talk about Flocks and some doctor who we don't know, and then later see for two episodes in in season four um, instead of you know focusing on two characters we've already met mm-hmm. and and them. You know, his brother, his brother, I would have, I would have liked to see what his brother had thought. Is he going out there and supporting him because he thinks he's going and, and doing something great for earth and for their, their species? Or is he saying, you know, Hey man, this isn't your fight. You were born on, you were born on a freighter. You belong here with us. Um, Like, why are you going out into the unknown where I very well may never see you again? And um, and risking your life for something that really doesn't have anything to do with you, I would have liked to have seen Travis's re- response to something like that. So definitely a missed opportunity, like you said, Chris.
1: Well, that ties into something else that we had discussed. Mm-hmm. You know, with their their lack of tie-ins of other characters to give us um, again a greater sense of connection with them. You know, like uh, I know you know we had said, especially you know dealing with Trip and the loss of his sister Um, how much more poignant for us as viewers that would have been had um, we gotten to see him interact more with said sister you know right Uh, seeing them do you know phone calls basically the star trek equivalent of phone calls or anything like that versus just hearing this in in just that one episode the off-screen death of this character right we there was nothing that connected us to elizabeth except for trip We didn't even know
2: he had a sister. Yeah, Yeah. That was the first time we learned it, you know?
1: And so then, okay, you know, here we are with, uh, again, another missed opportunity with, with Travis where they went through the process of giving us Travis's whole, not only his whole backstory, but we see his brother and his mother and the ship he was raised on and everything else. And so here's a chance to kind of revisit that and give us that connection with them, that family element, you know? And they were like, no, we're not gonna do it. In fact, you're not even gonna talk this episode. Just, uh, <laughs> just sit in that cockpit and wait for us to come to you. Cause that's it. So you're yep. gonna do. So yeah, another missed opportunity here, and uh, I think that might have been another Berman situation because the yeah. focus of Trip and the sister was the inroads to um, the relationship with T'Pol. You know, so they needed that connection to give him that in to start the romance with T'Pol. You know
0: yeah de- definitely and i mean i I think probably at the time people were like, you know this is kind of coming out of left field you know with with yeah. the whole trip to pole relationship, but actually the way that they they wound up getting it written actually it 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 made it to where there was a lot of fans that that was that was their their star trek ship, you know you know screw screw uh Troy and and Riker, this is the actual Star Trek love story we want to see.
2: It is because I mean, uh, this is weird. It reminded me of the connection between Kirk and Spock. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, they, they obviously, I think a lot of people shipped that and I've seen, you know, entire internet threads about the love that Kirk and Spock have for each other. Um, This was in a more traditional way that I think people could understand. Like, You know, Tripp was processing a trauma. Um, He, the doctor, the doctor playing matchmaker was (laughs) the best part of that. Um, You know, convincing him to to show up to her quarters and and talk to them both about it and all that. Um, I think it, I think it was really well done. I think it was, a. um, it gave a foundation for a a genuine ship, you know, a genuine um, and real and real relationship. I, I didn't like how, how. I didn't like what we found out about it in the last episode, you know, that they basically just gave up on each other after all of this, this stuff that was invested into the, how their relationship came to be. Um, and after having like a, a, a child, you know, um, and all of that, I didn't like that they didn't end up together. Um, but to see, to go back and see how they created the relationship between them, I thought that was really well done. And it starts... There's an attraction between them in previous seasons, but I mean, he's, she's literally topless in her, in her, I don't know which one's quarters in this episode, it, it was her. It was they're hers. doing, you know, it's they're hers. doing neuro pressure. And this was, um, this was an exp- exploration of that relationship that, uh, we hadn't seen previously because it hadn't had just hadn't developed to that point. It was just a passing attraction it became something more serious when you, when you let somebody help you through a trauma you know yeah
0: yeah now now sort of on that i don't think it was that well shot you know by today's standards because we we do get a a a very generous view on on
2: the (laughs) side yeah you could say that (laughs) yeah
1: um sticking point for me a little little tidbit on the neuro pressure um I don't know. It bothers me that they call it Vulcan Neuropressure. Yeah. And it just sounds so basic. It's like, I know that that, that's not what the Vulcans call it. They don't go around saying to each other, you want me to perform (laughs) Vulcan Neuropressure on you, you know? And I'm sure they don't just say, do you want me to perform Neuropressure on you? I'm sure they have a precise name for it. And I'm so tired of them cloaking everything under, well, yeah, there's a name, but it's hard to pronounce. No, it's not. Okay, you have a linguist on your ship who can clearly talk, say anything, speak any language. There's no reason that she can't teach you. And I would really love it if instead of the classic continuous cop-out of the universal communicator. Wow, say that three times fast. um, But instead of that, that we start to see the integration of... Uh, languages, idioms, Mm -hmm. and stuff into the common tongue, you know? Because that's really how language works. I mean, if you look at the English language itself, it's an amalgam of all the different languages that are spoken on this planet. You know, there are certain phrases and wordings and things like that that come from France, Germany, Italy, Spain, you know, all these different places, and we've, you know, meshed them in to make our own, you know, whatever. We We can trace that stuff back. I feel like we should be doing the same thing we would continue to do the same thing in the future, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, with, with Federation standards. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't like when they just are lazy, because that's the only explanation I have, is that they're lazy, and they just don't want to do it. And it's just easier to say Vulcan this, Klingon that, R- R- Rigelian that, you know, whatever, than it is to actually give us the name. And just for once, some show, some Star Trek show, I wish... That for the sake of world building and to just appease that part of my brain that has a mini stroke every time I hear them do that, <laughs> that they would just give us the name of the thing and let us be happy. Let me be happy and content in the moment. You know,
2: I agree with you. Uh, you know why? Ponfar, Kirshara. They could have easily come up with a name, especially for such an intimate act, because that's how Paul describes it. She describes it as an intimate act that she doesn't think Tripp has any discipline for. Um, So it would have been interesting to learn that. I I honestly think it's something that Berman and the writers never even thought about. It, it, It was easier to call it Vulcan NeuroPressure. And to be fair, I mean at the time that this show came out you know it, it was a ratings grab like you said the ratings were already not the best that, that other shows had been and whatnot i think they tried to simplify and streamline things um to the show's detriment at sometimes definitely instead of being creative just being creative because that's what star trek's about is is creativity amongst many other things mm-hmm. but creativity is at the forefront of that
1: And I wonder how much you guys might agree with the fact that because they did that, it kind of shot themselves in the foot for future Trek. Because now, with like Discovery, for example, they're all about the creative, the creativity, and letting their writers and directors just go for it. And there's a huge backlash in the fandom of people who don't appreciate it. And it's because we were so used to getting this very compacted, narrow thing that now when we have. Finally, the budget and the people and the, uh, seemingly the understanding to go for it. A lot of people don't appreciate, it.
2: you know. Yeah, so. I gotta. I, I am one person who falls in that crowd a little bit. You know, I know. I know how you two feel about Discovery, but Discovery, you know. It, I will. I will say this: it didn't disappoint me as much as season one of Enterprise when it came out. <laughs> I, you know, I, I really took me growing up a little bit to go back and and look at some of the gems in that first season. Um, and and Discovery, you know, I've gone back and rewatched, and some of them, some of them are gems. But I, I, I the the way it's done, um, I don't wish it was more consistent with classic Trek. I just wish the execution were were a little bit better. And that it weren't so Burnham focused, um, but but You're I can talking definitely about season
1: one. You're talking about season one,
2: right? Yeah, well, or all uh... of it, or all of it in general. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, you know, I, all of. I was speaking generally about the show in general because I think it. I think the entire show is very Burnham focused. I think that the latest season, season three, is probably um, the most. Like they focus. They actually they talk about. Uh, like Detmer has an episode, Stamets has an episode, um, you know, they they really expand upon the other characters a little bit more than they did in previous seasons. Uh, but I would have liked just just as I would have liked to have seen season three of Enterprise focus on more than just Trip and Archer's reactions to something so major that happened, uh, because it was such a parallel for the for what was what happened in the world and what America you know 911 and what happened to us as a country uh, I would have liked to seen um, in discovery them expand a little bit more um, beyond her character but um, you know it, it, it's all trek you know it's all mm-hmm. trek and there are all good things in in every episode that I can pull out mm-hmm. um, just just as many bad things I just wish that they would get the execution of discovery to to mirror the creativity that you're talking about because some of it, it just falls flat for me, and obviously, obviously, it falls flat for some other people too. So, you know, maybe we can have a podcast about maybe why that is sometime. But um, Patreon special right there. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting to talk about.
1: Yeah, um, I just think that with all with all treks, I, I think it takes a certain kind of experience to appreciate mm-hmm. them. Sometimes it is simple, the simple virtue of growing older, and then you mm-hmm. get to watch it again. And you glean something more from it. Um, And I think that's why Star Trek continues to be so popular. Because, I mean, the show that you watch as as a kid is not the same show that you watch as an adult. Right. Um, So, yeah. And we're constantly changing. We're constantly having different experiences. And I honestly think that despite... Because I'll agree. I think that uh, Discovery had a very rocky start. But despite that, I think that it's going to bear out as um, a really good Star Trek show. They do a lot... They throw a lot at you, and when you're not ready for it, it can be a bit overwhelming, almost to the point where it's just like, it's almost desensitizing you to the next episode, which is a a detriment to binge-watching a show like that. You know, you kind of do need to have a little bit of time to sit with it, but, I mean, and I feel that way because that's also how I felt about Enterprise. When Enterprise first started, I didn't like it either, Mm -hmm. and I had so many complaints and everything, but... As I watched the show, um, so, you know, the first time through, yeah, I, I came away from it being like, I really wish they hadn't done this one. I wish they had gone a different direction with Trek. But then coming back to it years later and watching it, I was just like, okay, this isn't the same show. I do see some different things that I can appreciate about it. And then, of course, because there was nothing else, I watched it again and again. And by the time I was through my probably fifth or six rewatch, I saw all this other stuff that now I was like, oh man, such a great show, such great potential on this and this and this. And I really wish they had done that. And I realized that I was um, you know, kind of like a reborn fan in a way. And I think the same thing's gonna happen with Discovery. When when we have the opportunity to kind of sit back, rewatch it and discuss it in in context, I think a lot of people will find they enjoy it far more than uh they then they don't you know but uh, it just has to get there and, and that's it
2: yeah i agree i hope they grow the beard in season 4 <laughs> um you know they 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 ha- it, it's a show that's so full of raw potential um and and much like enterprise was it, it, of all of the star trek shows it reminds me the most of enterprise and that's just because some of the some of the episodes, some of the times, leave me with disappointment, just like Enterprise did. Mm-hmm. But I do go back and watch Enterprise, um, especially some of those earlier episodes. And I, I glean more from it, like you said, Perry. And um, I know that I'll have the same experience with Discovery. So I'm looking forward to that, too.
1: Absolutely. I, yeah, it's just a matter of time. Absolutely. Okay, so... Um, we have been... Kind of beating this episode around for a while now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's get into um, favorite moments and final thoughts. All right. So give me give me two favorite moments from the episode, and then your final thoughts. How about that?
2: All right. Chris, you start.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I was already trying to cook it up there. Um, so <laughs> here, probably probably the f- first favorite moment for me would have been there there towards the beginning with with Hoshi talking to to the Mako's and and them kind of you know talking to, talking about or kind of talking about how they they kind of coalesce and bond and everything. Uh, the mm-hmm. second one, um, I would say probably Raiden Archer's sort of shock and appallment really at, at you know them getting handed a finger to to verify the the Zindi. <laughs> So, but, um, as far as final thoughts on the episode, I do think it is, it's a strong episode or strong, uh, season premiere, but I don't think it's the strongest season premiere, at least for, for enterprise. Um, I, I, and as far as, you know, the the whole catalog of Star Trek season premieres, I'd say it's probably in the middle, but it's definitely definitely good when it gets us gets us at least started on our journey in the expanse and you know presents more problems that we'll pick up later on and 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 solve from there
2: okay jordan um that that scene with hoshi in the mess hall with the makos that's one of my favorites you know they all stand up when she comes and uh, when she comes to join them um and i think you know it, it displayed to me that they have respect for her and her rank and all that. And, and it also made me think, you know, well, who, who in the military, um, you know, major Hayes or whatever, I would Mm -hmm. think he would outrank her because, because of how, how ranks work. Right. But they all stand when she comes to the table. So are they doing it because she's a woman? Are they doing it just out of respect because she's Starfleet? What is it? Um, you know, in traditional military doctrine, um, you really only stand when a superior officer comes up, um, and so I, that that made me think a little bit. Why are they doing this? Um, and I love their her interaction with them. Uh, I like cheesy moments in Star Trek. It reminds me that there's a place for it, even in the, even far in the future. You know, um, I, I go for that cheesy stuff, man. Um, and then my other favorite part was uh, where they where they meet the Zindi. Um, and he's like are you a zindy he's like four fingered Zindi, what do you want <laughs> <laughs> so that was my second favorite uh part <clears throat> final thoughts um i would say that this was actually a strong season opener i'm trying to think back on all of them you know you got broken bow um you got i think part 2 of the of the Sulabon one in season shockwave. 2 so for enterprise and yeah shockwave part 2 um, so for enterprise in particular, I felt that this was a, sh- and I, and I felt this at the time when I first, very first saw it, I was like, I like this. I like the direction that this is going. I like the, <laughs> it was a different time. It, it was, a. Uh, I I felt like the reaction to the attack was appropriate. And I felt like this episode was a reflection of that. Uh, uh and and um, it was a lot more action-oriented. I love action-oriented Star Trek episodes. That's just that's just a, a love of mine. Um, and so I thought of all of the season openers, I'm trying to think. I think the next season opener, season four, episode one, is that home? Storm- or Stormfront. Stormfront part two. Part one. Uh, part one. Part one. Yeah. Okay, you're right. So I actually, I have to disagree with you, Chris. I think that this was the strongest season opener that Enterprise ever had. Okay. Um, I liked, I liked the things that they did in it. Okay. Uh,
1: so for me, my favorite episode or not episode, my <laughs> favorite moment is, um, it's going to be, you know, again, the, the little foreshadowing of the, uh, cargo bay, the stuff flying back and forth. I just love techie stuff like that. I mean, I think we had talked before, um, another one of my favorite moments is, you know, trip flipping around when they find the sweet spot on the enterprise so little gimmicky things like that um i don't know i just i gravitate towards them i like seeing that kind of thing uh again it helps with the immersive world building which i guess is what i'm always looking for with star trek as a way to you know really feel like i'm more into uh the world itself that i'm I'm watching because that's what i really want like in my heart of hearts like we all agree we all want to be in in star trek you know so yeah so seeing things like that um and watching their reactions and trying to gauge like what would my reaction be if a bunch of equipment just flew across the wall you know um yeah I, i i just enjoy things like that um next favorite is going to be the one that you know grossed me out which is them crawling through the sewers and all that um because again again immersive world building and for me i was just like nope wouldn't do it sorry (laughs) we're gonna have to find another way through captain i mean that's what i'd be saying like we're gonna have to find another way i'm not because i just think about all the things like not just what they're crawling through but you know what could potentially be living in there? What kind of bacteria they may be facing? The smell. Like all of these things or thoughts that I'm having while they're just casually, not only are they just walking through it, but they're also talking. They're breathing it in. I was like, <laughs> I i would be gagging. I would be i would be retching. I would have so many issues that it would just be worth it to turn around and go back because I would not be able to to handle to process to get through there and they just crawl through it and get it all over them and they're dripping in the goo and i'm just like (laughs) nope can't do it so yeah that's my that's my other one and then as for final thoughts i guess i'm gonna come more down into um the middle like i don't agree that it was the strongest um season opener that we've seen but i don't think that it's the weakest either it's got a lot of great strong points it's got a lot of great things in it that you can certainly appreciate but i also think that it falls flat in some areas by not giving us the kind of connection that we would like to have with certain crew members when they're dealing still with this traumatic loss or the understanding of uh where certain people are coming from um you know like with the makos and stuff like that uh uh, just, just little things like that do it. Keep me from being like, okay, great, solid episode. A lot of great potential, which is again, I think, the recurring theme of Enterprise. But they just kind of dropped off on certain things. So I guess I'm in the in the middle uh, there on this one. But yeah, again, still Trek. So of course, I still enjoyed it.
0: Yep, I think that that's sort of the consensus Definitely. that even in, even even bad, tre- Trek's like pizza. Even if it's bad pizza, it's still pizza.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a good analogy. I like. Yeah.
1: Well, all right. We are going to go ahead and call this one done. Um, Our next episode of the Expanse. Just give a little preview there. It's going to be the anomaly. So, if you are interested in following along with our discussion, go ahead and watch that episode before you listen to our podcast. Uh,
0: Yeah. And. Jordan is going to be the one driving that one. So he's going to be his first time hosting. Looking forward nice. to it.
2: Thanks thanks nice. for uh, showing me the way today, Perry. I, I picked up a lot of things that I'll probably be using next week. So. Oh,
1: man. <laughs> well, first first time out doing that in uh, a good number of years. So hopefully I uh, I hit the mark.
2: <laughs> Definitely. Definitely.
1: All right, guys. Well, thank you all for listening,
0: and we will catch you on The Expanse next time.
2: The Expanse, a Star Trek
0: Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, Harry Freeze, Jordan Brown, and Chris Trubuzia, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date on all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01 Podcast. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs loading holosuite preview program for the sci-fi feminist a feminism and pop culture podcast yes uh cosplaying as laura croft doesn't work but that did spark my interest in her and for my master's dissertation i wrote about rise of the tomb raider and continuing into my current study she's still the topic of research and investigation so i feel like um we're basically best friends or sisters we are really close, me and Laura. It feels like I have some personal relationship with her, which is why I'm really happy to share my research about Laura Croft at this point in this podcast.
2: Loading Holosuite Preview
0: Program for The Voyages, a Star Trek original, animated, and Kelvin films podcast. Full honesty, I did find that the scene was. Seemingly long when they were driving with him and Scotty to get to the Enterprise when they were in their little capsule. I felt that that was a very long scene driving around the whole Enterprise. But find yourself someone in life that looks at you the way Kirk looked at the Enterprise. I mean, that was a beautiful moment. And I absolutely adored when Spock came back onto the Enterprise. Just how everybody on the bridge, like Yohura and Chekhov and everybody, they just kind of rallied around him. And it was a really warming moment just to see that original core group of people just celebrate him and happy to see him. Computer, deactivate Suite.